Ah. Are we recording? Yeah, it looks like it. Ah. Can you hear the door banging behind me? Yes. Right, oh. that's someone that's someone opening and closing the front door, and it's causing this door to rattle. I do apologise. You fixed welcome door, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome everybody. Uh, episode four. We're not at number four already, are we? Oh, we are. Yes. I just got a picture of James bending over by his door. I was sticking a slipper underneath the door so it doesn't rattle now. Fixed. Much better. Yes, fixed. <laughs> I think that's how you fix everything, isn't it, James? To use a slipper. Is that why I, every time I see you, you're in barefoot? <laughs> I've got shit over my head, that has. <laughs> On this week's episode, we discuss how to deal with big data in the cloud, including migration paths, harnessing the cloud to combine various data sources, and how we think the cloud is going to be used for data analysis in the future. If you wish to feature as a guest on a future episode, please reach out to us on Twitter using the handle at SLRpodcast. Right. Tell me about your week then, guys. How's it been going? I know Go you've on, been John. busy, Dan. Well, okay, yeah, so my work, my week is, well, my working week is very busy with uh, not upgrading some 1909 customers. So, um, yeah, just a kind of bit of news and a bit of that, um, just to make sure that everybody is aware that Windows 10 1909 goes end of life in May. Um, so anybody that um, is still running that, which actually is quite a lot of people, um due to any app sort of requirements issues, then, uh, yeah, you've got until the end of May to get off of that. Otherwise, you will not be receiving any security updates. Um, Are they not doing that thing then where you can still, if you pay for extended support, you can get updates? Or is it just, if you're not, if you're on dog F1999, you're not getting no updates? I'm sure that, that a, if you... Uh, that was a double crushed. negative then, isn't it? That was a northern yeah. double, double negative. No, yeah. I'm sure if you uh, cross cross Microsoft Palm with enough um, enough cash that they'd probably uh, they'd probably they do supply that? security do, updates. Do they do that for 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 client updates? Yep. So the long the long term so, service long term service channel. Yeah, I mean, both being done in the past um, in our previous roles, um, have had to go down that route. Um, I've I've done it for Windows Seven extended support i had to and you have to kind of you have to elect the devices in to get them so you have to buy like um like a license and then and then and then deploy this license to the devices so that they can get these this extended support updates i don't want to do that though you just want to just click update isn't that isn't that what you just do you just click update and walk away and hope for the best don't you start no well look i agree with windows 11 <laughs> Windows 11, I've been having an R in for quite a while and I clicked the button. Right, and, and so what, one... and why didn't you upgrade sooner then? Why? Because, um, well, for the same reason that businesses don't upgrade sooner, because there's always bugs, there's always something that's going to trip you up. And do you know what? This is probably the, the, the most smooth experience of a client upgrade I've actually ever done. 
There was one little niggle. There was one application, well, a set of drivers for some... Uh, it was something to do with the NVIDIA and network... I don't know, something that was... My son probably installed it for streamlining his gaming experience and lowering his ping and, you know... Well, what What is it all the gamers say? My latency, what what they say? Oh, my frame rate? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's depending yeah. on what you want, frame rate and latency. No, he keeps screaming from his room, lag, Dad, the lag is oh, terrible. Lag. yes. Yeah, it's like, well, that's the internet, <laughs> mate. But anyway, it was something to do with that. There was one application on there, set of drivers, wasn't compatible with Windows 11. So I, the only problem I had is that you couldn't refresh the little page when it popped up to say, right, I've just upgraded them, refresh and carry on. So I had to start again, which that was the only negative. It went on. So, yeah, Windows 11. But you, you, are you telling me, Dan, there's there's more things you have to do when you upgrade clients in a business world? Well, you've got to test it first, really. Okay. But we just chuck it out there, don't we, really? Most most people chuck it out over the but fence. Isn't, isn't, isn't that what we're trying to get to? Isn't that the, the state that we want to get to is just why? why... A rolling upgrade. It, it should be. Yeah. Get to a yeah. point, actually, now where the... Um, the way to do it is to do the monthly updates and you just have a very small update once a month and it's incremental. I, I jest, Dan, you know, I jest. And then we step into the real world and we actually then understand what happens, don't we? <laughs> well, <laughs> there's barriers and blockages and brick walls and applications do that. That, don't, that, that don't support anything and it's, it's a critical app. 32-bit app doesn't work in Windows. Can't you get compatibility Games. mode? Isn't that a similar thing? No. Not anymore, I don't think. James, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been playing with Azure Data Factory quite a lot this week. So um, using um, the REST connector to pull data in uh, and then pulling it into a, a data warehouse. So it's been lots of fun, um, but due to customer requirements, it's a MySQL data warehouse. And so there's uh, wrestling with some of the limitations uh, of that. But it's uh, all sat in Azure and it's working really well. Um, just been using some offset pagination in, in ADF, which uh, took a little bit of working out. Curly brackets in the end was uh, stopping me after a few hours. You know, that, that old... Uh, the old trick where you you spend so long trying to work out why it's not working and it's just a pair of curly brackets in the end that was stopping it. So, yeah. And I also installed, uh, is it the Edge Bar it's called now? That, that got released quite recently. An edge oh, bar. in the browser? In yeah. the browser. I quite like that. Is that tabbed down, down the side? Is it the tabbed pages? Yeah, well, yeah, so you can have pages, but you can also have your emails. Uh, it comes with your emails, Bing and, and LinkedIn built in i've added twitter um, and it just makes it quite easy actually so when i'm working i have my twitter feed on the side um oh. and because i'm real bad like i try to invest in time in, in in tweeting and reading other people's tweets and getting active with the community but i, I get so distracted with either with work or family having something like that just sat in the background on the side yeah, it's quite good no i know I, I think james what you're trying to say is you've got the balance right you don't get distracted by twitter and email <laughs> and, and tiktok <laughs> yeah no no no, no. Wrong way T- around. tiktok definitely distracts me that that app should be banned because it's just making me so uh, oh, i'm not know, very I got productive since you know I, I got i got a, i got a bit of knowledge well a bit of knowledge i think i thought it was something that was really interesting slightly off topic i know we're meant to be talking cloud 
but TikTok's a Chinese company, yeah. Yep. And and you know the for you page in China. Do you know what they show the kids in the for you page? You know, is it is it um, STEM? Yeah, videos and stuff, isn't it? You know, stuff stuff that will make them more intelligent and grow more and have that growth mindset and really get them. What do you think they show the kids in this country and and, and America and whatnot? S- silly dances, how to twerk. Yeah. You know, it's like it makes you think, doesn't it? I'm just putting it out there, guys. Maybe the algorithm is geared the wrong way. You're just yeah, trying to make us more stupid by uh, just I'm saying nothing with you know? videos. It's quite funny TikTok. So, bef- I my daughter, she was with two in 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 March, and before then, I was watching TikTok and I'd see all these these videos. I'm like, oh yeah, they're cool. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And then now I see a video and it'd be like a, a young girl doing a dance and she's not wearing any clothes. I'd comment on it saying, put some clothes on. That's disgusting. And I'm like, see more of it. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's counterproductive. Because yeah. as soon as I comment on it saying, put some clothes on, you know, you, you, you look too young for dancing and dressing like that. I see more of them. <laughs> it's just horrible. So yeah, I should delete it. But then I uh, I like the some of the funny videos that are on there. But uh, what else do you do when you sit in the toilet? <laughs> like, that's, that's, it's, that. it's prime TikTok time, right? You know. Well, this, I'm just thinking this podcast is going really. <laughs> <laughs> what have you yeah, been doing well, this week, John? Come on, what, what have you been doing? Well, no, well, do you know what? I've, I've been, I've been, um, I, I don't know. You throw me now with your TikTok antics on the toilet. Ninety <laughs> so, percent of people using TikTok do it on the toilet. Do you know what? I actually don't. I must be that ten oh. percent because. <laughs> I've honestly got to that age now where the, 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 the viewers at home can't see I've just taken off my glasses, but I really need to see an optician. My eyesight is getting really, really bad. So I put these glasses on. I need these, and it's just too much hassle to find the glasses in the morning. So I don't do TikTok first thing. I I, I leave it till uh, later on in the day to do my TikTok in. But no, what have I been up to this week? Do you know, it's been another one of those weeks for me. Phone call after phone call after meeting after meeting. Um I, like I said earlier, I upgraded to Windows 11, finally on my main PC. Work laptop still running Windows 10. Um, what what have I been up to? Just just calls, just like a week of calls. There's some cool things going on in the community. Um, doing a good community event next week. Uh, yeah, this this time next week, I think we'll be doing a a community get a community event with all the uh, the uh, user a group community from the UK, which would be cool. Um. Yeah. Apart from that, just keeping busy. Good. Got to keep busy. So, what you've been doing with ADF then, James? I, I, I well, I knew this week we were going to talk a bit more about data, weren't we? I thought was the plan. Yeah, I thought I'd talk about your options when you want to migrate to Azure SQL because it's not right before we get stuck in but before we get stuck in mm-hmm. we need to clear up one question that dan had about what sql was don't we well there's two questions i've now got right uh, the sweeping statement initially this it's kind of a sweeping statement and a question in one go shall we have a disclaimer here aren't this databases just great big excel spreadsheets <sighs> <laughs> Well, I'm just saying what other people think. I think. <laughs> what was the other question? <laughs> um, let's let's see, let James Mull on that one for a minute. Well, because of all right, I'm I'm not a data man, so I don't know. What is Azure Data Factory? 
I should date a factory. I'd rather that? answer that question because that that's a proper question. So it's 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 an orchestration tool. Um, have you ever heard of um, SQL Server Integration Services? SSIS, yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. So back in the day, you know, I said back in the day, still people still use it now. Um, you know, if you want to take data, transform it, then load it somewhere else, like an ETL. Um, you know, workload, you'd use an integration service package. As we've now moved to the cloud, we've got um, the next evolution of that, um, which is Azure Data Factory. Um, whereas um, integration services use things like packages, we're now you talking about pipelines, data flows. It, it's, for me, coming from a database administrator background, tackling the, 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 the task of taking data from one place um, ingesting that data, doing something with it, and then putting it somewhere else. Um, I'd always use integration services. Um, Azure Data Factory seems like the, the next step for me. And it, it's, it's like a an easy kind of picking up point. Um, there are other things you could be doing, you know, using to do the same type of stuff. Um, there are other services, you know, things like, like Databricks, um, yeah, uh, Synapse Analytics, which it is very similar to data factory but yeah adf uh, is uh, is the tool i'm using so in the past i've had a bit of experience with business objects are we sort of talking data warehouse type scenarios with that then you could be yeah in the case in in, in the in you know you could be taking data and putting it anywhere you can do anything with it so that's the that's the power of the cloud right you can store your data in the cloud um, and manipulate it however you wish um, in in the example I've been doing this week, uh, I've been taking data from a REST API, um, ingesting it, cleaning it, and then storing it in a MySQL database um, for a customer, because it's a customer requirement. They need a MySQL database. Uh, and then, then what, what they want to do is uh, use Power BI to, to report into that MySQL database. Oh, and that's not to say that's the best way to do it. But it's it's part of a, an organisation's a business's requirements, and because they're kind of migrating from a, a an an older platform to a new one, so this is like a like a stepping off point, as you know. And a lot of, you probably find this with a lot of businesses, right, where they they want to kind of migrate a um, a database or or some sort of service and application into the cloud, and it kind of sometimes it's just it starts off with a lift and shift, right, and then and then it might and then it. it it develops it, it evolves from there so this is like a the business is stepping on stepping on point stepping off point we're going to call it i got yeah. a question james Go i got a question so <laughs> you talk about businesses having these databases servicing applications at some level you know maybe they're in a centralized uh, data center maybe it's in a particular sql cluster running off an instance yeah <laughs> if we take that i mean where does data factory fit in because You've got this concept that, as I understand it, and again, I'm not a data person, but if you've got an application running off a back-end database and then you introduce something like Data Factory, are you talking about moving the, the, the focal point of control of that database to something like Data Factory? Or are you talking about taking a copy of that data into Data Factory to do some onward manipulation of that data or, or can you do both what, what can you what's do both? So, so, so so obviously it's an orchestration tool so you can use that to to move data and transform data around however you see fit whatever you need so um, an example 
um, would be you've got data sat in a, in a relational database, could be SQL in Azure, um, and you want to take that data and you want to start like run some analytics on that data. Now, in its current format, it's it's probably primed for, um, in, you know, it's primed for applications to be writing, updating, and reading that data in in its relational database. Let's say it's a SQL database, but it might not be in a suitable format for running big analytics against. So what you do is you take that data, uh, you'd clean it, make it uh, more suitable for uh, running through big analytics or for reporting, and then pump that into a data warehouse. Um, so you can use something like uh, Synapse Analytics, which um, which is a very similar platform to ADF, um, but it's kind of it kind of replaces what would be SQL Data Warehouse. It kind of it kind of sits in that bracket of 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 a of a of a, of a product. Um, and you'd spin up uh, Synapse Analytics workspace. You'd have a, a a a data warehouse created there, and you could take the data through from ADF or from Synapse Analytics uh, pipeline. You know, they use these pipelines, the same technology across both products. Um, take the data, do what you need with it, put it into the data warehouse, and then have your um, you know your analytics. Um, so it could be. It could be could be anything. Could be doing anything anything with it. It could be you know machine learning, AI, or just big data analytics that's now reading from that data. Now it's in that right format. But it could be anything. You could be you could be pumping data into a data lake. You could be um, you know for example, I've been taking data from the REST API, putting it into Azure Blob Storage, and then and then ingesting that later on as I merge it back into my MySQL database. So. Um, working out if I need to insert new records, update existing records, you know that that, that sort of upsert type of activities. Azure Data Factory is really cool. It just allows you to move stuff, put it where you want it, stage it, change it, pick up again, do something else with it. Fantastic, and it, and it's dead easy compared to something like Integration Services, where I would have said in the past that the entry level to to, to integration services was much higher than than it is for something like Azure Data Factory. They've they've definitely uh, simplified it, and it just sits on like uh, Spark clusters. So you could go down the route of learning Azure Databricks, which you know, it, which is kind of like the uh, sort of a coding code first approach to uh, ETL workloads, where um, ADF is very much drag and drop. You know, you want a copy activity, drag the copy activity onto the screen. And then fill in some some variables, um, so it knows where it wants to copy the data from and where it wants to sync it to. Um, so yeah, the entry level is a lot lower. So it's like a bit of a um, a data factory, like you're taking data <laughs> yeah, exactly, from multiple exactly, yeah. sources. <coughs> I should have muted that cough out then, really, shouldn't I? But um, yeah, so you're taking data from multiple sources, doing some transform and load and whatever it may be, cleanup exercise, and then. Not necessarily storing it there, just offloading it to a storage location potentially. Then, or drop it into yeah. another SQL database. You, yeah, you kind of okay. Yeah, yeah, you be... stage the data and then move it somewhere else later on. You can do what you want with it. Um, you know, there are needs to transform data to make it ready for a different purpose, like analytics. Yeah. You know, it's mm. a data inside in a relational database isn't often enough ready to just be queried by it from, from an analytics process it, it needs to be changed made made more suitable for that 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So what you uh, what are you up to then at the, at the moment? Are you just kind of trying to learn some things with it? Are you working on a customer project? Working on a customer know... project. So, but uh, I'm I'm using the, the the test API for for this product. Um, just trying to work out what the data looks like because the the customer needs a data warehouse. They have legacy data, and it's like, well, how compatible is this new data from this new product with the old data from the legacy product? And this is the tricky part because you can take data from one product and take data from another product, but trying to make them compatible with each other in um, from a from an analytical perspective requires a lot of transformation. But it's mm. like almost like copy. It's like comparing apples and pears. The buff fruit, but different fruit, uh, and trying to make um, trying to make them fit together. It's it's not impossible, but it's it's tricky. So and because of things like um, ADF, uh, Synapse Analytics, and all these kind of cool products that they've got sat in the cloud, the technical side isn't the difficult side. It's it's trying to work out the steps you need to take as you clean that data, as you make it that data more um, appropriate for the, the the workload that you want to use it for. It's it's a it's about going through that process in your mind, trying to work out how how what steps you need to do to get there. Um, but the the technical side is taking care for taking care for you. It's it's really good. Okay, so another question for you: SSRS, so yep. SQL Server Reporting Services. What's the equivalent in Azure? I would say Power BI. Yeah, and this is part of something I'm going to talk to uh, talk to you guys about today. So, you know, let's say you you are you have SQL Server sat on on prem, and you've got integration services and reporting services running from those SQL servers. And you're like, I want to migrate that workload that are the, are these, these SQL servers uh, to the cloud. But SSRS and SSIS, well, you don't, you know, they, they, they're not in the cloud, so what do you do? Well, you look at the equivalents, right? This is about, this is about your migration journey. You could, if you use insistent, if you had to use integration services and reporting services or SSAS, analytical services, if you had to use them, from a SQL Server traditional standpoint, you could just lift and shift the SQL Server to a VM sat in Azure. That could be your migration journey to the cloud. But there are other products there, there are evolutions of of existing of of the old products that allow you to take advantage of the cloud better. So you know, rather than just say I've migrated to the cloud because my SQL Server sat on an instance, so a SQL instance is sat on a VM host sat in Azure. You could say, okay, I'm gonna I'm going to strip back integration services and reporting services. I'm going to migrate my SQL Server to a managed instance in Azure. Uh, and then I'm going to migrate those workloads to uh, ADF, to Azure Data Factory, and to Power BI. That could be a migration journey. That could be an option for you. Um, and this is, the, this is the thing about when, you, when you've got SQL Server as a product sat on a, in an on-prem data center, and you, you start thinking about, Migrate. You know, you've decided that actually migrating to the cloud is the thing for me, right? You've, you've, you know, maybe you're getting rid of old infrastructure. Maybe you just want to decentralize your, you know, all your all your infrastructure from an on-prem to to somewhere in the cloud where it's more flexible. You've decided to do that, but where do you go next? And this is probably where a lot of people struggle, especially if you are not a database administrator and you don't know the options or. Or maybe you're aware of the options, but you don't know which one's most suitable for you. 
Um, so this is part of you know my my job at the moment is trying to help guide um, customers in making those uh, informed decisions. So you can use things like flow charts to kind of start that initial uh, journey to you know, guide them forward. So like, for example, I have a flow chart that says, right, you, you want to use SQL Server. Do you have any SSIS workloads to migrate? You do? Okay, we need to talk about Azure Data Factory. Um, is your application compatible with Azure SQL? That's a really big question, right? Is, is the applications using uh, the database that sits on SQL Server, is it compatible with Azure SQL? If it's not, unfortunately, you, you've got, you, if you want to migrate to the cloud, you're going to have to use SQL Server host and a virtual machine. If it is, great. Do you need SSRS or SSAS? If you do need them, then I'm sorry, you're going to have to go to a, a SQL Server host and a virtual machine. If you don't need them, Okay, now we're talking. Now we're talking about some real cloud SQL Server. Um, so at this point, you you could go down the Azure SQL database route or the Azure SQL managed instance route. So they're the two two main products. And there's lots of other things that you know that you need to start considering when you when you choose between the two. Cost is probably a big one for customers. Um, and then certain functionality. So do you need um, you know, elastic performance, uh, the idea that you, you know, you, you could have a SQL database that when it's not doing much, doesn't consume a lot of resource, but sometimes it, you know, when it's really busy, it needs more resource that, that elasticity. Did I say it right? I can, I never can say, I can never say that word properly. That word. Yeah. So that allows you to, and in this, we talked about this last week when we talked about, um, why migrate to the cloud, it's about controlling your cost to that point. You know, rather than just having like a lot of people might have done now, you know, on-prem SQL Server, it's probably spec'd to handle the max workload that you can potentially experience on that SQL Server, and it could be, it could be really expensive, like tons of RAM, tons of um, CPU resource that you don't need ninety percent of the time. Um, Long-term backup retentions. Um, do do you require a virtual network? Do you have SQL agent jobs? Um, you know, can you migrate those edge jobs to, I think there's uh, elastic jobs now. Um, all these type of questions that guide the, you, the customer to making the right choice when they decide between Azure SQL database or Azure SQL managed instance. So yeah, there's a lot there. And I know I've just kind of talked about a lot. I've been reading up, I've been reading bits and pieces as you've been talking now, because it's, it's a really cool journey. It's one of those things, isn't it, that I think is typical of cloud services. You yeah. know, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of ways you can use different services to do different things. But I guess it's kind of, it's that overall strategy, uh, uh, you know, as a business or, or a particular department or team might need on wrangling data and digging into that data because I, I guess you know all of this all of these new features and functionalities come from the extent that we've heard this terminology over the last couple of years now a few years that data is the new gold you know every every business is in effect should be turning into a, a, a tech business in the sense that they're generating data points and that data is being stored somewhere whether that's in a particular application database or you know it could be iot or footfall through a retail store whatever it is 
mm-hmm. most businesses today are starting to use tech to kind of gain those insights. And I, do you think that's where all of this has come from, James, in terms of why we've got all of this opportunity to, to, to use some of this cool tech to do some of these things? So I think there's, there's two driving factors. Um, Microsoft recently, as, as, as over the last few years, has, has took a, a stance where it's very open to, uh, or it's opened its platforms up to lots of different um, products, you know, not just Microsoft proprietary products. If you want to migrate um, an Oracle database to Azure, there's a there's a route for you to do that, right? Um, and, it, and, it, and it kind of starts to break down these barriers. So in the past, a DBA would have been, uh, I, I'm a, a SQL DBA, so I work with Windows servers and I work with SQL Server. That's it, yeah? Um, or if you was an Oracle DBA, chances are you was running, you'd, you'd be familiar with Linux. Um, and then you got all the other kind of NoSQL or non-relational databases in between, like Mongo. Um, you've got uh, MySQL, Postgres, uh, M- M- uh, Maria, and all these different types of um, options. Now, what Microsoft is doing is, is saying, okay, so we, we, we recognize that everybody's got all these different database technologies out there. Azure it can be a home for all of them. There's there's a migration route for you, um, and so th- I think that's a big factor in driving this. But then it's the okay, you've got your data in the cloud. What can we do with it? Uh, and then you start looking at your machine learning and your AI. Now these are the parts where sorry, James, but I guess as well you put, you're on about migrating data to the cloud. Yeah, but I but I guess there's scenarios where customers can leave their data where it is um and and because you touched on integration services like using integration services to pull that from an on-prem world or into these services so i guess you know i'm assuming they're they're all possibilities yeah of course they are yeah Yeah. if if you yeah so obviously there'll be some customers out there that say okay we need to keep our data on-prem and this yeah. is where your edge computing comes in, right? Where, and it could be like you've got some, you, you maybe, I don't know, you, you've got a business who are generating a lot of data, but they don't want all that data going to the cloud because it's just too much. And so they'll use something like edge computing, uh, something like maybe like the Azure Stack, for example, Azure Stack um, uh, Edge to, to process some of that data and then upload that to the cloud after it's already kind of cleaned it, after it's already transformed it and the store. A, a reportable version of that data in the cloud and then start connecting your Power BI's to it or or other analytical uh, products to that data once it's already in the cloud. You've got, you've got that flexibility. You know, it's it sometimes feels like if you if you've, if you've can think of a question, Microsoft, uh, Amazon and Google, they're already trying to answer it before you've even thought of the question, especially when it comes to data. Mm, definitely, definitely. I, there's some cool things, I mean, Again, when you touch upon those kind of edge workloads as well, it's cool to see what they're doing. Or, well, the fact that you can kind of develop your own tool, if that's so what you need to do, to do some of this manipulation, like you say, synchronization up to yeah. the cloud. I mean, it's cool to see, um, you know, containerized app services from Azure now as well, which I have not looked, but I'm presuming there's going to be some data workloads in there that you can kind of drop onto edge compute devices to do some of this cool stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Kubernetes, you know, if, if you want to spin up a Kubernetes uh, SQL cluster, great, there's an image already there for you. Just go and grab it, download it, spin it up. There you go. Um, don't need it. Shut the cluster down. Start, store your image somewhere in a, in, a, in a GitHub or whatever, wherever you want to store it. 
and then if you if you well, want Azure, to... Azure got to stick it in Azure Container Registries. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is, you can store it wherever you want, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and move it, you know. Some of the, one of the great things about um, I don't know back to Azure Data Factory again is that it has um, it has the Azure DevOps or GitHub integration. And so in the Azure DevOps, you can have a repo sat there, or you can use like a GitHub repo. And you can develop all your work on one instance of an Azure data factory. And then and you can have this process of um, having like a production uh, Azure data factory where all your pipelines are run from, all your, all your activities are run from, and have all your development activities uh, on taking place on a different um, data factory. Mm. Um, and and let, let's say you're developing um, something quite generic that you want to deploy to uh, multiple customers. Great, just just save it all into your GitHub. And then when you rock up to a new customer, they say, right, we need the solution deploying. Oh, I've already done 90% of the work. It's all sat there in, in a Git repository that I'll pull down to your, your, uh, your, your Azure um, instance and off we go. It's, it's, it's really cool. Um, but the problem is, I think sometimes is maybe there's too much choice, you know, and this is the, it's almost like Microsoft can sometimes be a victim of its own success. And it's not, not just Microsoft, but yeah, yeah, Amazon's, your, your Google's where, you know, you've got a database and it's like, I want to migrate it to the cloud. God, there's so many options. Mm. Like, where do you start <laughs> if you're not quite sure, you know, what all the terminology means or you know what what you what do you need you know like when you when you're looking at sql server for example i have a i have a spreadsheet that i've created to ask uh customer questions from i'm just looking down at there there's, there's probably 20 questions that i'd ask and each one of them um depending on the answer would lead you to a particular um uh, architecture deployment. yeah so for example um you know do you need a long-term backup solution yeah and if you need like a long-term backup retention you have to go down azure sql database or you have to if you want to use a managed instance you're going to have to start thinking about taking those backups and doing something else with them um do you need vena integration do you do you require more than 100 databases in a single instance do you need to run manual backups and and copy those backup files um, do you require a different uh, collation? Now, Dan, you'll know from SCCM that that requires a very specific collation, right? Um, yeah. When you set up the database server, if if you need a specific collation, then you can't use a, a normal um, Azure SQL database. You're going to have to use a managed instance because all you know one supports uh, only the default, while the other one gives me more flexibility. And this is the problem, I think. Um, uh, and there's no easy solution to it. I suppose it's why we were employed. Uh, it's because, you know, a, someone who's using SQL Server but not necessarily a, a, a database administrator, they might not know the answers to these questions. And, um, you know, you, you need a good, a good consultant who's done the prep work to really help you, guide you through that journey. And you are one of those. <laughs> uh, I'm all right. <laughs> I think I'm okay. <laughs> but yeah, I find it very interesting, but I'm also a massive geek. Well, it's cool though, James, because I think there's loads of, I mean, you mentioned all the um, 
the document database types, you know, things like Cosmos, MongoDB, things like mm-hmm. that. They seem to become in a lot more prevalent in the, in the development of solutions that are a little bit closer to my heart in, in the, you know, the stuff that I play with in IoT space and things like that. I mean, yeah. You know what's so, so? You know, going back to the, the the data factory, I'm assuming we can take Cosmos DB, MongoDB, uh, relational databases like SQL or Oracle, and bring and ingest those into a data factory, and then transform data from all of those sources into one output that could then be stored in another database location. Yeah, of course you can. On. So, so. Um... You know, you talked about MongoDB and Cosmos DB. They're actually one and the same. So MongoDB would have been the traditional um, key-value pair um, database where it, it, it stores um, your data in documents. Um, Cosmos DB, yeah. as they have, it has a MongoDB iteration of it. So you can lift and shift a Mongo database to Cosmos DB. Um, now you could do that through like a, a proper migration process of lifting and shifting or you could like you say use something like azure data factory to connect to that that mongo database take that data and then store it in a cosmo db if you wanted to you can lift and shift it that way or transform it in between and something like cosmo db where you don't have a, a fixed schema it's great and, and and you talk about now um why you suddenly start to see this there's more different database out there for different purposes. So what you've got, because it's all readily readily accessible through a, through cloud, through the cloud. So for example, in Azure, you've got all these different options. Um, I'm pretty sure on Amazon and, and Google is the same. Because you've got all this um, flexible flexibility, you can suddenly start to uh, develop solutions uh, or, or choosing a database solution that's suitable for the workload rather than trying to fudge it. So if you've got a date a, a web a web app, right, that's streaming data and that data can change or or like like something like maybe like blog posts or um Twitter feeds, those type of things, you don't want to use a SQL database. It's slower to retrieve it, that data from there. You, you know, it's it's slower to write that data. But let's say you have, you know, you have a, a an application for banking. You have a banking software, and you need to be running analytics all the time, and and or or, or maybe a a business that's selling, you're selling like a cars, for example, right? And the cars have a, a category. They um they have a manufacturer. They have certain parts that are um contained within a car you need a relational database for this right where everything's linked together and this is where you okay you choose sql or another relational database you know um you can start making the right choices and not be restricted by um you know the infrastructure or 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 the or the technology that's available because it's all available to you now you know you want to get your hands on it and learn it go do it dead easy there's a lot of a uh, lot of information out there about the training and everything, isn't it? YouTube videos, people producing. There is so it. much out there at the moment. It's, it's fantastic. You know, I think I was talking to an apprentice the other day, and I said, "You're really lucky because you're not burdened with um, with 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 past experience." And what I mean by that is, if you're trying to approach some of this new technology and you've 
been working with SQL Server for most of your career, and then you you start approaching all this technology with trying to see how it compares to what you've known before, and so you might end up inadvertently being led down, leading yourself down a route of just focusing on SQL Server in the cloud, just because it's kind of it's the most familiar to what you know. So if you're if you're new to the industry, and you're new to you know data engineering. You've got so many things to you can go and you know learn about and and, and put into practice. It, it, I, I wish I was just learning data now. Rather you know, than... that's I, I brought that conversation up with a few people now in in the sense that you're right. We kind of always kind of reflect back on our experiences, and it's it's strange, isn't it? Because I guess when you're starting off in your career, you've got that all that opportunity. And you kind of then over your, the course of your career, you kind of find your path, so to speak. Yeah. So I guess which one is most beneficial, experience or the opportunity to learn? Do you know what I mean? It's it's a, it's a strange uh, conversation, isn't yeah. it? I had a I spoke to a friend last night and, and he commented on our other episode when we talked about certification. And mm. where, you know, as someone such as myself who's been in the industry for over a decade, I would lean towards experience being much more important but he was coming at it from a different perspective where he didn't have a lot of experience and he was saying if it wasn't for certification he wouldn't be able to get into the jobs he's doing now and and it's because his and his employers are people who seem to value the fact that he didn't have he wasn't weighed down with um like any preconception of of of, of the of the technology he was working with you know, it was like, mm. right, we want you to do this role. We, you've not done it before, but we, we, you know, we can see from your past track, you know, your track record that you, you, you can apply yourself. Go and do these certificates. We're going to give you a pay rise when you get these certificates done, and this is the work you're going to be doing. And he's loving it. And it's mm. like, okay, that's that's a very different approach, and that's probably where a lot of companies I th- imagine would be leaning towards as they venture to the cloud, because, like we mentioned the other week. Um, people are blessed with years and years of experience yeah and equally i think even if you've got experience i mean look you know we we know we work in a in an industry that we're used to change you know okay maybe not quite the the, the pace of change that we're having to get used to today but we're used to change because you know technology changes versions change products change and we kind of got to go with that flow and i guess just because you've got that experience doesn't mean to say that you're completely oblivious to everything, you know, or you you can hold yourself oblivious to everything else that's going on. I think there's definite there's this definite shift towards those people that have got the that that growth mindset is is the term that you hear a lot yeah. of, isn't it? That 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 opportunity, every opportunity is a learning opportunity, whether good or bad. You know, so if you have a bad experience, turn it into a learning opportunity, learn from it, and move on. You know, and I think that's. When it comes to getting people in into tech and into into their careers, that's certainly certainly something I think people coming into tech should somehow demonstrate. And I guess that's the point there, isn't it? How do you demonstrate your aptitude to be able to apply knowledge in a practical way that's going to be for a good purpose, such as you know doing something good for a business that's going to make them make make them more money? You know how how do you mm-hmm. show that when you're new? Certification is absolutely a bar. But then you hear people talking about, you know, go and do some open source contributions, go and get yourself a GitHub repo and start doing some of this new 
uh, or, or futures kind of stuff. So there's there's loads of opportunity. This I think it all boils down to attitude, then, doesn't it? Like you were saying, then James, it's yeah. that attitude to learn. But, um, yeah, and I think with the, with the database technology there, and 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 you know, you know, looking at Azure as a as a, an example, you know, the learning material for for understanding all these database technologies, but it's also the the technology that sit um, next to it. So, um, you know, in the past, a SQL Server database uh, administrator would not have had to know much about networks, right? Mm, yeah. Because yeah. because another team took care of that. Um, and this is where the, the, the boundaries um, between one tech and the other are, are broadening. You, you, if you want to set up a SQL Server deployment managed instance with a with a, an application that's connecting into that uh, SQL Server and talking to it, pulling data, writing data, you know, you if you then set up a, a virtual network, you need to know how to do that properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you want to make it, you want to make that SQL Server secure, you need to know a bit about networks. Or, or virtual networks, which probably are quite different to a traditional network. It's never ending, though, James. Isn't it? It's never ending then, because then once you know a little bit about that, you're expected to know. You know, it's such a yeah. Okay, Azure Stack. Type. Azure Stack's a good example as well. You know, mm. Azure Stack um, can be used uh, for a SQL Server deployment. Um, what's the yeah. what's the what's the Azure Stack? Uh, there's there's three in there. Hub, there's Hub Edge, Hub. and HCI. It's the HDI. So the HDI can be used for HCI, hyperconverged. Oh, so yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that can be used for that's for, that's for all your your VMs, isn't it? Yeah. So that's just like yeah. storage spaces in Hyper V, effectively. Exactly. Yeah. But you yeah. you can buy an Azure Stack, um, you know, uh, HDI that is specifically configured for SQL. And they use SQL Server as a as a, yeah. an example. Yeah. If you want to have SQL Server on prem still, you need an Azure Stack HDI. That's what they say you need, okay, a contained um, system that is uh, fine-tuned out the box for SQL Server. Microsoft aren't saying go out and buy two random servers and create a cluster anymore. It's... Well, it's it's right. It's what workload because you, you're finding now that hardware, you know, on, on the data side, I'd imagine it's very similar you know, to, to large, you, you look at large financial applications that need to really operate at super, super speeds with incredibly high IOPS and, you know, speed on disk and things like that, that you're right. I think, you know, you're buying these clustered capabilities, these physical boxes, um, specifically to run certain types of workload. And, and, and you're right. I think um, how that fares when you move that into the cloud, I mean, you know, they sell compute power in the cloud on that PaaS platform was is what they call them DTUs, isn't it? I think you've got the concept. That's right, yeah. In, in Azure. yeah. It, I think it's a data transactional <laughs> unit or something like that. Um, yeah, mm. but basically that, yeah, they use the DTU, which is a, a combination of, uh, it's basically it's a representation of the resource used to do whatever you want yeah. to do with it. So um, RAM, CPU, resource used. Um, there's, a, there's a formula. Um, I can never remember it because it's just a DTU, you know. Uh, but the, yeah, but the, the more DTUs that you use, the more expensive it's going to be. And so yeah. then, you, what you are doing this is the this is the cool bit as well. Like when you're doing like Azure Data Factory and you're doing your transformations, are you doing it in the most efficient way? Because if you're not, it's going to use more DTUs and it's going to be more expensive to run your pipelines, your data flows. So this is another aspect to it, you know. And this is, again, it comes back to cost control. Um, just realised the time, and Dan kind of give this big 
exhale of breath about 30 seconds ago, which which is telling me that we probably should wrap up. <laughs> He's smiling now. You, def- you definitely did it. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of um, of you getting in trouble. So get into trouble. Yeah, I've got the first the time his, his mouth. It's, it's not the first time his mouth's got him into trouble. eh, Dan. Exactly. No. In any case, though, um, yeah, go and learn about data and data engineering, and yeah, learn about the different options for SQL Server in the cloud in, in Azure. There's quite a and- few. And seriously, if anyone does want to uh, reach out to us, then um, yeah, all of our uh, Twitter handles are available on the episode, on the descriptions, on the bio. But um, check us out on Twitter, SLR Podcast. That's S for Sierra, LR Podcast. What's L for? Lollipop. I'm pretty sure it's Lollipop. Ah. Sierra Lollipop Romeo Podcast, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks for yeah, your time. Thanks, guys. And we'll see nice you next time. Both. See you next time.